Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're back post Pesach. I'm here live from the, the headquarters of the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org, here in the control room, ZK at the controls, Judith here joining us and having coming back from California. Judith, how was California? It was great. It's nice to be back in 75 degrees weather. Oh, not here, I guess. Not there. You guys were suffering in 20s. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, folks, we had planned uh, an interesting show all about the world of politics and all the good things that we had missed over the two-week hiatus uh, that was Pesach. But uh, as you may have heard, you may not have heard, but we're going to tell you about it tonight. There have been some interesting developments uh, here in the city of New York as well as the state of New York. And uh, what I refer to is uh, corruption and scandal. Yes. Shocking as it may seem, we have yet again the arrest of public officials in New York. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. It's happened. Okay, well, now we're going to talk about it. And we're going to spend the next hour speaking to those who reported on it, those who are going to comment on it, and those who are actually... uh, most affected by it. So we're going to get all three as we try and understand the world, the nest of political corruption out there. So we have Josh Margolin from the New York Post with us. He broke the story, the initial story of the scandal involving Councilman Dan Halloran and State Senator Malcolm Smith, as well as Bronx Republican Chairman Jay Savino. Vice Chairman of the Queen's Republican Party, Vincent Tabone. And not to make this too New York City-centric, we also had two officials, the mayor and the deputy mayor for the village of Spring Valley. Spring Valley, New York, in Rockland County, that is. That is actually where my father grew up. Uh, Shout out to Ellis Parkway there. Doesn't look the same, I don't think, as it did in in the 60s. And Spring Valley, New York, who would have thunk it would be the next, would be the Ground zero for yet another political scandal engulfing politicians in this state. And at the center of it all, sad as it as it is, sad as it may seem, was a Hasidic Jew. Well, I can't help but thinking that a couple years ago, there was another political scandal in a state that we like to make fun of, Quite frequently, that state is called New Jersey. It's not too far away. You can see it on a good night from some of the buildings around here. And that state had what's known as the Jersey Sting. At its center was not a Hasidic Jew, but a Syrian Jew named Solomon Dweck. And he pretty much in one fell swoop on one morning in July, it seemed almost like half the state was rounded up. Amongst those were also Orthodox rabbis, as well as Jews who were indicted for selling body parts. A pretty nefarious scandal, if you don't mind me saying. I couldn't help but thinking of the parallels there. And when I thought about it, I thought about a book that I had read not too long ago called The Jersey Sting. And one of the authors is now reporting for the New York Post, and his name is Josh Margolin, and he joins us this evening to talk about the latest and greatest in scandal. Josh, welcome to Spin Class. Hey, how are you, Michael? 
Great. I guess this is a field day for an enterprising corruption-type reporter of yours. Not a corrupt reporter, of course, a one who follows and exposes corruption. Well, plenty have accused me of being corrupt anyway, but aside from well, that, Well, that's no. fine. You know, the New York Post, you know, News Corp, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> but no, it, seriously, it is, but it's, uh, you mentioned the parallels and, and the strange journey that I've taken, which by no means is anything close to what other people have taken in, in the case, but when we, when we put the story to bed, uh, going into Tuesday morning's newspaper, I didn't know who the informant was. I, I only knew that there was vaguely an informant, and there's typically an informant in these things. And then, lo and behold, within the next 24 hours, I learned that I, I'm almost reliving my own personal professional history because the Solomon Dweck case broke when I was working at the Star-Ledger in New Jersey, I then ended up uh, working on the book project with a fellow reporter at the Star-Ledger. Before the book came out, I ended up going to the New York Post, and now I'm at the New York Post covering what seems to be a, a remarkably similar case. Un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it, it's – what can I say as far it, as it, who's at the center of it? It, it really – this scandal is, is so odd and, and on so many standards. But It is, and, it, and, it's, and it's breathtaking, but – at, at bottom, the, what, what we've learned, what I've learned covering politics and political corruption over the years, that these things tend to be small and grow large. And really what we, what we have here is what looked originally to the FBI like a garden variety local political bid rigging scandal, a uh, 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 competition rigging scandal, bid rigging. It basically... In Spring Valley, the feds allege, and let's let's obviously underscore the idea that it, these are only allegations. Everybody is innocent until proven guilty. Um, the feds allege that the mayor and deputy mayor in Spring Valley were trying to push ahead with this land deal, and that they were for sale. They were willing to work with a favored developer, whoever that person might be, for the right price. Okay, it, Josh, actually, just. Uh, unpack it a little bit for yeah. the listenership. They may or may not be as familiar. The sure. land deal. We're talking about a vacant parcel of land in Spring Valley, New York. Along Route 59. Correct. That, that somebody was going to develop, uh, turns out to be this, uh, this gentleman from Muncie. And he came, went around and said he was going to develop. But there's a history to this gentleman even before this, this land deal. Correct? I mean, right, 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 right. They, right. they got, they had him on the, on, on the hook for, for another reason. Correct? Right. So, so uh, in the last couple of years, he, he has something of of a checkered recent past. He was involved in a very, very high-profile uh, litigation, civil litigation, with Citicorp, Citigroup. And they accused him of essentially defrauding the bank of $126 million in mortgages. It's a little bit complicated, so we, we probably don't want to get too deep in the weeds because we might never get out of it. The Let's just say they, they had him. They had him. And they had him, and the judgment is pending. He lost. But as things happen, banks don't typically lose $126 million quietly. So in addition to suing, they told the Fed. Not and, when it's their money. They do it only when it's somebody else's money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Fed's investigated. And we don't actually know exactly what happened in there. This is not like the Solomon Dweck case in that there was an arrest. There was never a public arrest. There was an individual who ended up getting brought up on charges associated with this, uh, somebody who was connected to the informant. Uh, but it, it, the, the upshot was, at some point, 
2010-2011, the FBI tells this informant, and I'm sure that, I don't know, are you comfortable, do you want to say his name on the air, or do you want to leave it? Go ahead. I, th- I was hoping you would you would broach that. Okay, his, well, his, his name is, he goes by a number of different names, it's, it's uh, Mo Stern, um, Moses Stern, Mark Stern, there are a number of different names, but that's that's his name. So the feds, and if you Google him, you'll find you'll find the whole the whole sorted mess. Well, I was getting to that. That there's a, there's a great question. Why did anybody Google this guy before they started talking to him I and taking no bribes from him? I have no idea. At least at least in the Solomon Dweck case, what you had is when he was talking to the corrupt politicians, Dweck was using an alias. So you know, on the basis that people tend to look similar enough, and you don't really tell what they look like. Blah blah blah. You know, at least Dweck was using that alias. In this case. He was using his own name, but his own name, see, that's the beauty of the scam that the feds had him perpetrate. So he's a businessman. He's a local guy. People know him. He's got a big house. He, he funds a shtiebel in, in Muncie, and, you know, the, the Spring Valley uh, political leadership is very familiar with the, with the Orthodox community, and so he is able to gain access to the political leaders, and the feds, so the feds approach him. They offer him some sort of a deal the way they typically do. He turns state's evidence. He agrees to cooperate. The, the FBI creates a script. They, create, they, they establish targets in the investigation. This is all very much in a set playbook that the Justice Department follows in case after case after case. And they send Stern in with an undercover FBI agent who goes by, who, who appears to be uh, of Indian extraction, and he uses the the name Raj, and one would presume that that's not his real name, and he may not even be of Indian extraction. And they they then go in, and through a series of meetings with the mayor and deputy mayor in Spring Valley, they work out what is alleged to be a corrupt deal to rig this bid that Stern's ostensible development operation would win rights to develop this land in return for a partnership stake, a secret partnership stake, for the mayor and payoffs for the deputy mayor. So, Josh, this is exactly the playbook that Dweck did in New Jersey. He went around to various officials and said to them, I'm going to develop this piece of land, and I want to grease the wheels. And he he basically said to everybody, here, here's some grease, here's some cash to do that. And Dweck also was caught and turned as a as a witness by uh, by having passed bad checks at, also after real estate deal. So this is this seems to be the exact same MO here that's uh, going on. So so it's, pl- yeah, it's not, it's not it's not a real uh, mark of distinction for 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 the tribe so to speak. Well, okay, so please continue. So so the Spring Valley thing somehow and it, it, this is where the last couple of days of reporters chasing the story comes in. Somehow the Spring Valley shenanigans literally get on the thruway and drive south and wind up in New York City. At some point as these meetings in Spring Valley are taking place, you have a situation where Senator Malcolm Smith from southeastern Queens, an area that I'm sure a lot of your readers are familiar with, your listeners are familiar with, I'm sorry, um, near JFK Airport, the, the Laurelton, St. Albans, Orbendale area. Yes, represents the, the Ohel of the Lubav- late Lubavitcher Rebbe. Oh, okay, fine. Per, yeah, I actually grew up around there in Rosedale, Queens, right near JFK. Okay. And um, Used so, to represent Farakaway. 
but right. th- but not not right now. Yeah, Sanders represents Far Rockaway now. Correct. So I added Dabo, the two of them. So um, so you have so you have that Smith has lost power. He's no longer. He was at, at a time for the, over you know, during 2012. He was still running the Democratic conference in the Senate, but he was no longer you know the majority leader. And he is making rumblings about running for mayor, but he doesn't want to run in a crowded Democratic primary. The primary is already crowded. In fact, it's less crowded now than it was a few months ago when he was talking about it. There was a time when there were five and six candidates in the race, and so he figures, you know what? He could position himself as a fairly moderate slash conservative African American who could gain bipartisan support running in a Republican primary. That would that would better his chances for being elected mayor. What we don't know as we're reporting on that story is that behind the scenes he was trying to work this out and there this is where the real intricacies of New York state election law come in. But suffice it to say the simplest point is of the five boroughs, of the five Republican organizations in New York City, in order for a Democrat to appear on the Republican or any non-Republican, line, right? In order for any non-Republican to appear, any any non-party member to appear on that party's ballot in a citywide election, that candidate needs to get sign-off from three of the five party leaders in in the in the city in the boroughs. So. Called a Wilson Pakula after the after the you know the the late former governor Malcolm Wilson who I right. think has a bridge named after him somewhere also known as I think potentially the Tappan Zee. Malcolm Wilson took over after Rockefeller. That is correct. To become vice president. Yes. So so he needed to get these slips signed by three Republican chairs, and his idea, according to the feds, again is that he will pay off Republican leaders to give him their green light to get onto the Republican ballot. For this, he decides to enlist Councilman Dan Halloran, according to the FBI, who's a Republican, one of the very few Republicans on the city council, who has access to a couple of Republican leaders, especially, I mean, the Queens Republican Party is, is one of the more potent Republican parties in the city. Queens actually has Republicans. You know, there are parts of New York City that don't have Republicans at all, pretty much. Like the Bronx. <laughs> and um, so he's going to use Halloran as a facilitator. And then we have somehow the FBI realizes that they have entree into Malcolm Smith for Mo Stern. So they send Mo Stern in. And this is now. So there's a long time relationship between Mo Stern and Malcolm Smith. The newspaper, our newspaper, to plug our paper, we're going to have uh, some information on this tomorrow. Okay. It's it's long enough. Pick up that, your New York Post early. <laughs> it's long enough that Smith feels comfortable, but not like they're best friends since childhood or anything. It's not like you would have seen Stern at at a Smith event ten years ago. It's the last few years. Okay. And but but he knows that he he trusts him enough to trust him to do an, a, a questionable slash illicit deal with him, according to the FBI. And then we're off to the races. So there are meetings at restaurants and hotels and in cars. Halloran is going to pass bribes. Halloran allegedly takes some money for himself. The bribes are all funded. The game, the the the, the scam is set up that Smith 
this is where it gets a little complicated without a chart. Stern and the undercover FBI agent will together fund the bribes for the party leaders in return for Smith's assistance getting state funding that will benefit the project back up in Spring Valley. Okay. So you have this back and forth sort of crisscrossing of Spring Valley to Queens. And and there are meetings in Smith's office in Albany, and he talks about how he's going to go about getting the money. And it's not even a lot of money, truthfully. It's, they're talking about half a million dollars in state inter, you know, multimodal transportation funding, which, I mean, there are some people in these deals that could take half a million out of their pocket and fund it themselves. And then Halloran, in addition to all this, and this is really just a little bit of a cherry on top of the Sunday. Halloran allegedly was going to do separate deals with Stern and the undercover FBI agent posing as a developer. They were going to create sham companies and get city council funding for it that Halloran would push through in return for other bribes and illegal campaign donations that were masked as what they call straw donations, donations that were given by people under false pretenses like, I give a donation, but it's not really my money. You're actually funding me secretly behind my behind. You know, behind closed doors. Similar to what a certain mayoral candidate is currently, or not he, but uh, members of his right. fundraising staff. Yeah, straw donations is actually a problem in American election politics for years and years and years. That's oh, it's, why. Pr- it's particularly a big deal in New York City with the public financing when you have, when straw, when every $10 donation is multiplied by right. six. Right. So uh, that's, you know, when you divvy up. Large donations and smaller ones, you get a lot more benefit. Out of I that. remember covering a, a straw donation scandal with Congressman Hinchy, who just literally left Congress this past term. When he was up, he was new to Congress, and I was working up in Ulster County, New York, uh, around in the Kingston area, the Woodstock area. And Hinchy's campaign finance chairman went to jail over it on accusations that he was taking corporate money and. Thirty or forty thousand dollars and spreading it around through straw donors all over Ulster County. Well, it's obviously a persist a persistent yeah. issue. One one of the more comical things about this, and I'm not sure that comical is necessarily the right word, but apparently when it came to uh, Vincent Tabone, the former at this point vice chairman of yeah. of the Queens Republican Party, as well as a general counsel to mayoral candidate John Katsimatidis, also formerly. Uh, Apparently, he was suspicious of the FBI or the uh, agent or the cooperating witness and patted them down, but yes. didn't, didn't find the wire. Well, <laughs> yes, it was comical. <laughs> tell, frankly, us, tell us how that, how that happened. We exactly. don't know exactly what, what the visual was, but one would surmise from the way the, the FBI agents drafted the criminal complaints that were issued on Tuesday morning that it's sort of like a scene out of The Sopranos or, or, or uh, even uh, – in, in Godfather 1, where the uh, police captain pats down Al Pacino in the car, you know, he's feeling around and, and checking him out for, for a body wire. But in that but, case, Pacino didn't have the gun. It was in the bathroom. That's, that's so. right. Well, Pacino, right. But this time, in this case, the FBI agent, the, the, the meeting was wired. The agent was wired. But, I mean, come on. My kids know how to you know, place recording devices that are undetectable in, on somebody's body at this point. They're so small. My little micro-recorder that I use at work, you can't detect if I have it on me. So it's a little bit comical. You're absolutely right. It does remind me of another case that we covered in Jersey that was a precursor to Dweck, where there was a corrupt uh, mayor sitting at a diner down the Jersey Shore who was telling the uh, the cooperator in that case 
that there's no problem not to worry about it. He can smell a cop from a mile away. This was as he was talking to a cooperating informant being recorded by the FBI. Amazing, that sense. Of, maybe he had a cold that day. So let's just talk about the other shoes potentially to drop today. Another announcement, a Bronx assemblyman, one of them is accused of taking bribes, and another assemblyman had already pled guilty to a different crime, to perjury, and was cooperating, and now claims, at least has told various members of the media, that he is involved in other investigations of other elected officials. What yeah. is going on here? They are totally unrelated cases and remarkable for the fact that they are being announced in such quick succession and for what they say, you know, in total about the political culture in New York and New Jersey and the United States. The, uh, I, I was stunned this morning when this, when, when these complaints were first put out by the U.S. Attorney's Office and then the FBI amazingly they were not involved in this one case. It was actually investigated by the Bronx DA. The FBI was stunned by it. They couldn't believe what was happening. And and people thought at first blush that this morning's announcement was the follow-up, the second shoe, so to speak, that was going to drop after what happened on Tuesday because people tend to quickly think there's going to be multiple days' worth of arrests on these things. There aren't, usually. But in this case, it's, it's remarkable. And the U.S. attorney wasn't, wasn't shy about talking about what these, what these two events say about the political culture. I, I, I continue to be amazed. I continue to be amazed that any of these guys, not even just from altruistic purposes, but why would anybody want to take a chance at doing one of these deals? Because they keep watching people get arrested, get perp-walked, and wind up going to jail. And that's, you know, part of these not, things... Not just a couple, I think. I, I mean, at lot. this point, we are talking about potentially north of 30 in the last decade. It's, oh, it's, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, every, it's everybody that was with Smith, that was, that, was, that was competing with Smith, I should say, when he was the majority leader in the state Senate, though that, the gang of four, they're all gone. Right. You know, the... Well, you, you, actually, let, let me just say what uh, the U.S. Attorney Preparara said. Yeah, because I think it's it's very poetic. Actually, the complaint describes an unappetizing smorgasbord of graft and greed involving six officials who together built a corridor of corruption stretching from Queens and the Bronx to Rockland County and all the way up to Albany itself. Right. So, what is going on here? As you said, shouldn't everybody be wary? And they're not wary. And but what is it about elected officials and corruption, whether it's New York, whether it's New Jersey, whether it's elsewhere, as, you, as you, you've been covering, what makes it so easy to fall into this trap? Look, I ha I, on, this, on that kind of question, I can give you my opinion and my speculation, but I'm certainly not a Speculate away. Let's... But I, I, I have, over the years, encountered politicians of all stripes, and uh, obviously... Everyone, including myself, will say the vast majority of people are, are not criminal. That's a great thing for us to, to, to keep in mind. But there, there, there comes a point in time, and I've seen this a lot of times, and, and people in politics and around politics will talk about it. There comes a point in time when you are somebody who has power and staff and public acclaim and adoration. And in the case of a lot of people that we've witnessed, that ends up changing somebody's grounding and their ability to tell right from wrong and 
if you're not well grounded, it, you're susceptible to this kind of thing. There are people who also, you know, the standard, the, the, mo, the easiest way to describe it is some of these people have lifestyle issues. There were people associated with the Solomon Dwight case. There were assembly members, one assembly member in particular, who just was a, he and his wife were notorious gamblers and travelers. They just loved lifestyle, and they needed a way to fund their lifestyle. And they both were earning nice salaries. They just were unable to keep up with themselves. So there's simple, simple motivations like that. But then there comes a point in time where a lot of people just wind up saying, I'm powerful, I'm above and beyond being caught. And we've seen it. We've seen it, we've seen it in, in, all, in all walks of life. Which of the situations do you think is... Well, this one goes higher. Then, meaning the New York one goes higher than the New Jersey one did. Right. Okay. Although, in terms I, of state government, right? I, I I agree that there was some potential involvement from somebody in high up in the Corzine administration in the Jersey scandal. Sure, of course. But uh, nobody got. I don't think anybody got indicted. Now, if we, but if we look at this litany, this history now of in New York, you have the last three or four. Three of the last Senate majority leaders, Pedro Espada, Malcolm Smith, and Joe Bruno, all having been indicted, uh, and uh, and uh, you know Joe Bruno was is now in the midst of potentially another trial, and you also have a situation where there's a wide ranging investigation uh, in, that involves members of the state Senate along with Malcolm Smith in Southeast Queens. When I'm talking about the aqueduct issue. Uh, you have the potential here if you have all all this if this investigation itself rolls on to, to more and then you also have the one in the assembly rolls on to more yeah you have the possibility of dozens of elected officials dozens more or you know maybe a, you know a handful more but it, it's it's really incredible when the, the scope so it, it certainly is there there's a lot of money floating around politics. There's a lot. Of, there's a there's a lot of money. There's a lot of access to money. There's a lot of, you know, it, it, it's really. But on some level, there's it's nothing new under the sun. I mean, Albany has been written about. Trenton has been written about. Washington for decades for the, for the culture of 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 the both the honest graft, which is straight up campaign donations in return for legal favors, and then there's the actual graft. Wherever there's money to be made, and the thing is, it happens with in the development community a lot. Not to besmirch the reputations of developers, but developers need loads of approvals. Construction of projects needs need incredible approvals, and the more lucrative the project, you know, they build in the soft costs. We've all heard the phrase "soft costs," and soft costs typically for for the uninitiated in the audience, soft costs are the money that greases the wheels. But that's well said. I, I guess that's, you know, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, that's really what makes projects and certain things happen. And uh, But we'll talk for a second about the legal graft, because I, I think that it, it's hard to put those two in the same sentence. Well, if people follow the law and say that certain things are legal, right, I, I, uh, donations to political campaigns, if done within the bounds, or donations to political parties those are regulated and they can be legal sure and just answer a final question for me because i i want to 
I want to bring another voice in here is that why did Malcolm Smith feel that he had to give illegal donations to the Republican Party if people like Mike Bloomberg and John Katzmatidis were giving large donations to the parties and others have given large donations to the political parties and then in that way they were able to curry favor and get that coveted Wilson Pakula. Well, because the, the, the donations the donations get recorded, and they also wind up not going directly to where you want them to get to. You want the idea of a bribe is you're putting money in somebody's pocket for their own personal use that nobody else is going to know about. Honest, the honest graft, as they call it, is trackable. The the, the situation today with with Assemblyman Stevenson is is actually much much more closely connected or, or would mirror more closely a an honest graft situation. The accusation is that he, he passed legislation to benefit somebody who was bribing him. That's the accusation. If that person did not give him a bribe, but instead legally donated contributions to his campaign, to his party organization, and then he put through legislation that benefited that person, Unless there was some sort of recorded conversation or correspondence that draws the direct line, cause and effect relationship, that would have been a completely legitimate operation. Happens all the time. A member of the United States Senate gets a donation from Josh Margolin. Josh Margolin happens to want a piece of legislation that would do X. So I donate my $1,000. Six months later, the member of the Senate introduces that legislation. Six months after that, it passes, gets signed by the president. That is corrupt and perfectly legitimate simultaneously. You're calling it corrupt, though. I'm not calling it corrupt. I'm saying that if, it, if there's that deal, I'm saying it's unprovable, but that deal makes it corrupt. Okay. If I, if I, I just... If I just donate, if it has a quid pro quo, that's right. Like, if there's a quid pro quo, but but it's it's legal unless you can prove it. Right. Right. I'm not saying it's. I mean, and 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 there's it's completely legitimate. If I want to donate to somebody and I get nothing for it but access for my clients, see that happens all the time too. Okay, Josh, you may have to jump. I'm not sure yet, but uh, I want to bring another voice onto the line. Hank Chinkoff is respected by the press and politicians around the world. He is a public relations powerhouse and master of political strategy, a guru, uh, certainly in New York City, uh, respected by Republicans and Democrats alike. Hank, welcome to Spin Class. Thank you for having me on. So, Hank, this is, uh, I would I would say, unfortunately, not an atypical story right now in New York. But uh, what, what's going on here, and what's your take? How does this affect the mayoral race? How does this affect things in Albany? You've worked with everybody. You know everybody. Give us, well, give us the lowdown. I think, I think Reed Barra will make a Julie, Rudy Giuliani look like a piker when it comes to uh, corruption investigations when this is all over. And uh, there's probably a lot more to come because when you have a fellow wearing a wire for four years, which is a, seems to be what happened in the Bronx, a lot of people say an awful lot of things, an awful lot of things. And so we're going to see a lot more, a lot more, probably a lot more people arrested, a lot more people indicted. So are we suggesting that Preparara might run for mayor? Well, <laughs> is there still time for 2013? There, there's, there's still time for him to do whatever he wants. Now, the problem will be, uh, you know, it's always me that's to see the late boss of Brooklyn, who himself was indicted twice, I think, or three times, uh, and only lost one case, I think, if memory serves me. He used to say that a DA could indict a ham sandwich. That was his line. 
And there's some truth to it. Um, but, you know, whether whether Malcolm Smith or anyone else is guilty, unfortunately, I still believe in the jury system and the criminal justice system. I think that has all to be proven by a court of law. There's something else, though, going on here, which is that there are more, um, that the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office are in the federal government are doing what the taxpayers won't do, which is enacting term limits by uh, fiat and uh, arresting people. And that's a way to get people out of office, and it's working out reasonably well. They're... Their rate of uh, their rate of removal is very high, and the public votes it doesn't do that much at all. Incumbents tend to be returned at a 98 percent rate. Uh, it is there are disincentives for people who want to run for office to run for office, and um, it's not good. So when you have people staying in office for a long time, there's a sense of, um, in some cases, there's a sense of ownership of the office and uh, whether it belongs to the people who gave it or loaned it early. The people well, matter is no longer consequential. No, and also what Hank is, was saying, aside from the, the sense of ownership and entitlement in the office, the longer they stay, the more powerful they, be, they become, the access to, 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 goods, to money that can be spent both good and for bad reasons in their communities and in, in wherever they're representing. That's entirely true. Right. This, this is Spin Class. We're here with Hank Scheinkoff and from uh, Scheinkoff Communications as well as Josh Bargolin from the New York Post. Hank, I want to just focus for a second on the IDC, the Independent Democratic Caucus, which uh, Smith joined just recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, the IDC had been, or at least in in, thought, in thinking, had been about you know, good government. They, they had left the Democrats because they felt that the regular Democrats were a little bit unsavory. I don't know. That might be the wrong word. But we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Now they're kind of ensnared in the very corruption that they didn't want to be a part of. Well, I think that's not fair, actually. But Jeff Klein is a very decent guy, uh, and, it, and attempts were made by the bad guys to smear him, and they were not successful. He is a serious policy guy, and he cares deeply about that body, that legislature, and how it functions. And uh, the first act he did when, uh, right after Senator Smith was arrested was to remove him from his committees and to strip him of his leadership post. So I think he acted decisively. So they get, the pa- is, they get past the- this. I'm sorry? So the IDC gets past this. The IDC gets past this, and it's a good thing uh, to have multiple voices and to have, uh, and I think, to have uh, um, people talking about a bunch of other things besides how much of their money they're going to take back to their districts every year, which is what the conversation all that used to be before Jeff Klein showed up. What about Governor Cuomo? He promised uh, to change and reform Albany, and if a lot of indictments are on the way, even uh, even if he's doing a great job of of cleaning up, uh, it doesn't reflect well on uh, the leadership in general. Think, I don't think he gets blamed, although your point is well taken. Um, he uh, he inherited a set of problems, and, he, and I think the public will give him the benefit of the doubt that he's handled them well. He's certainly, uh, you know, sending in a, sending in a sitting uh, controller, state controller to prison, which he uh, did. Is, uh, is no sign of weakness as the Attorney General. And he is, he is however, taking it on the chin this week on the editorial page as people are saying he hasn't, he hasn't worked quickly enough or effectively enough to, to clean up the cesspool. But as Hank says, I mean, look, in, in, if I'm Andrew Cuomo and I'm on the phone with us right now, I say, look, William Kennedy's been chronicling Albany going back for how many generations? So what, what's two years? For Andrew Cuomo going to mean, you know, in the in the grand scheme to turn around this 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 ship that's, you know, been at sea all this time. 
That's true. And you know, you've had Albany County, never mind Albany, but Albany County controlled by a political machine since the beginning of time, I think, before the world was created. This is not new. I mean, the, the, the fact that we, uh, we view Albany with, with great disdain has some value, but then there are people who do extraordinarily good things there, and uh, they, they really do, and we forget about them. The entire place is not accessible. What about the mayoral race now? I mean, how does this affect the – obviously, this has to have some effect on the Republican primary. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, the, whether or not there were connections, whether they're strong or they're tenuous, between the candidates, the, the Republican candidates, Katz, and Loda, who are running to those that were arrested. What, what, who, who benefits? Are, are Republicans just damaged as – or already further damaged as a brand in New York City? They don't have much of a brand in New York City, so the damage is hardly important. And the people that were implicated are seen as politicians. I don't think there's much to worry about when the Bronx County Chair, where the probability of electing a, a Republican to anything in the Bronx um, has the probability of I, me growing a second head tomorrow, matters much at all. It's just more of the same stench. That, that doesn't, it doesn't have value. And that's the Republican primary. Look, so what? This, uh, the oldest does is give credence to Mike Bloomberg's call for nonpartisan elections uh, so that you don't have people buying or attempting to buy, whether it be legally or, 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 or accused of being doing it illegally, what we call that old same Wilson Batula, and where party leaders are less significant than what voters want to do. That's a different issue. No, it, it, it does, despite the fact that the Republican primary is really, uh, in, in many, many ways, sort of the after, the also-ran idea here in the mayoral race. It does have a blowback effect in the Democratic primary, which really looks like it's the one that's going to matter. Chris Quinn, uh, the city council speaker, has been now accused again. It, it reminds people about the slush fund scandal that she had to deal with earlier. It's led to people complaining that she has not been aggressive enough in cleaning up the use of discretionary funding among council members. So she's having to deal with that. So, you know, they always say Hank, people in Hank's line of work always talk about the message of the week. And if you're not talking about your own message and you're talking about somebody else's message, you're losing. So Chris is now stuck this week talking about this and saying, no, I actually have worked hard to clean it up. That's a, a negative, a political negative, not a criminal negative by any stretch. There's also the other element that has not really fully taken hold but it's unclear right now how much of a real factor in the Democratic primary John Lewis is going to be. John Lewis is still a candidate. He had a pretty strong announcement celebration a few weeks ago. He also has two of his top money people about to go on trial, for, as we talked about earlier, for the, for the straw donation scandal associated with his controller's campaign. And this if John Liu had any chance of getting out from under the cloud that was put over his campaign by this scandal, this is going to remind voters that John Liu also has campaign donation contribution problems, has scandal problems, has FBI indictments you know, in his finance operation. So it's clearly not good for him because he'd rather be talking about something other than indictment. Sure. Hank, let me let me pose one final question to you because we have another guest on the phone. I want to I want to move along. The discussion is what does it say about the fact that there seems to be an orthodox Jew at the center of these corruption scandals? And uh, from a PR guru perspective, how, how do we 
How do we counter that image? I, I can't talk about that from a PR guru perspective. I can only talk about it from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, which is something I understand. Uh, living as an Orthodox yes, Jewish you do. observant person and as a rabbi, okay, so it's Misa. I am very, very upset by this incessant the sense that somehow this is perfectly fine behavior and it goes on all the time. And if you go to Otisville, which is a federal prison, you can get uh, you can you can live a religious life and there's nothing wrong with it. Well, there's something very wrong with it. All of this, it's not good. Um, and we really should be looking in our community and, and finding out what is wrong with people that they somehow believe they go against the rules of the society around them, which is absolutely contrary to halakha. Absolutely contrary to halakha. Wrong. There's something wrong here. No, and, qu- and no question about it. Accident, twice is it. Twice is a battle of experts. Three is a 10-year study. This is absurd. You know, there's something wrong. I, Josh, if you were a politician, would you not be staying away from Orthodox Jewish real estate developers these days <laughs> okay gentlemen thank you very much for joining us josh margolin from the new york post author of the jersey sting josh where can people find you uh on out there on twitter thejerseysting.com at josh margolin on twitter hank Scheinkoff, guru to pr gurus uh hank where can people find you out there they can just find me they can <laughs> if you don't know if you don't know how to find hank you probably shouldn't be trying to find him thank you very much gentlemen hope hope to have you again soon i want to welcome into the discussion uh, city councilman new york city councilman eric Ulrich, a republican one of the few republicans in the city council a uh, dubbed a rising star there and uh Uh, Councilman Ulrich, you can't be uh, all that happy with what's been going on in your party, or I should say as a Republican in our party uh, these days. Hi, Mike. It's it's good to be with you. And uh, I'm calling actually uh, from the conservative party. We're having a dinner tonight in Queens. And uh, a good good man, Chairman Tom Long. Uh, Unfortunately, Dan was supposed to be the other honoree. Uh, I don't think uh, obviously that's not going to happen. But I'm disappointed like you. Uh, I was shocked. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. I think that this is a terrible blow to the party. It's a long message uh, to uh, people out there that the, you know that the Republican Party is uh, is not the party of good government or clean government when in fact we are. It's a, it's truly it's truly amazing when you, when you think that a Republican in New York City really only gets elected as a reformer or trying to change things going against the. Going against the grain, I think that's kind of been the Mike Bloomberg mantra and the Rudy Giuliani clean up the city type of mantra. And here we have the party chairman out there essentially selling these uh, these offices or or the ability to run in these offices. What what what? Just explain to the audience for a second the the party apparatus here. You know why do, why does the party apparatus matter? Well, I, I think that. One of your attorneys or one of your other experts could speak more to the Wilson-Pakula process, but certainly a Republican in New York City can only win with a fusion candidacy when he's able to garner the support uh, of another political party, whether it's the Independence Party or the Conservative Party, or to create a party uh, name and attach it to a party. Um, and, and that has always been the case with Rudy, uh, with Mike Bloomberg, as you suggested, and uh, and you have to go out and get support of the uh, county leaders. If you're not an enrolled Republican, you need three of the five county chairs. And and really, that's what led to this: is that Malcolm Smith was hoping to land a spot on the ballot in the Republican primary this September, and uh, and allegedly he enlisted the help of of some people who uh, you know had other motives, had their own agenda in mind. And and unfortunately, the, 
I, I think it went down a terrible path, and and uh, it's left a lot of people hurt, uh, and a lot of people are just uh, we're stunned. I, I know I am, and I I don't know how soon we'll all be able to recover. So, Councilman, you've been battling the, and I, I hope you don't mind me using the word battling, but there's been a pretty public uh, feud within the or split within the uh, Queens Republican Party. Uh, out there and you've been battling and you've been talking about some what you've termed corrupt practices in the party apparatus over the last couple of years can you, you want to i guess some would say that you were the canary in the coal mine here saying that you know everybody should watch out and uh, unfortunately you seem to be be right i don't want to say vindicated because you probably don't want that term you know i i wouldn't wish this on anybody uh, because it's such a betrayal of the public trust and it's an abuse of power that should never happen. But um, I did see some early signs of some very unscrupulous behavior, and I knew that there were certain people in my party, just a handful of bad apples, that were really ruining it for everybody because they were only out for their own financial gain, and they were perverting the political process to advance their own agenda. And really that's the way that I would characterize it. I never knew in a million years, and I never would have guessed that someone like Dan would have been uh, implicated in, in these crimes to Bone, I'm not so surprised at. I mean, I'd heard stories and I'd had my own dealings with him that uh, left me very uncomfortable, and uh, and he was not one of the good guys. Uh, and I think that that's a, it's a reputation that he had built up over a number of years. So, um, and Savino, uh, similarly, I think that um, there were a lot of people who questioned his integrity. Uh, but the extent to which they would go to uh, bribe um uh, elected officials and, and accept bribes from elected officials and from developers, one of which, as you mentioned, was posing as an FBI agent. Um, it's just so disturbing. It's so bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. I mean, let's assume it had gone through and, and they'd never been caught. Does anybody in their right mind really think that Malcolm Smith would have won the Republican primary? That's my next question, actually. Uh, actually, I want to throw out there our phone number, 212-529-4620, if anybody wants to call in, 212-529-4620, and people out there might be too troubled by this whole situation to want to talk about it publicly, but I, Councilman Ulrich, let's, you know, talk about the idea of Malcolm Smith. We're, we're kind of all from the same neighborhood. We're all, you know, in the Southeast Queens area, and uh, you represent some overlapping neighborhoods from Malcolm Smith. I mean, you never really looked at him as a Republican candidate. So what was he thinking? Well, you know, Malcolm was somewhat of a chameleon in that uh, he was always what he needed to be for the very moment. So when he first got elected to the state Senate, he, he fancied himself as a conservative Democrat. Um, you know, he was for charter schools. He was for law and order. Um, he was for welfare reform. I understand he was uh, opposed to same-sex marriage. So there were many issues where I think he felt he could identify with the Republican Party or the conservative party, and he actually ran with the conservative party's support. I remember uh, when the Longs endorsed him about uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, and then he became the president of the state Senate, and then he had to become a progressive. And so he changed his positions on the issues, and now he wanted to run as a Republican for mayor, and, and all of a sudden he was uh, middle of the road again. So... Um, I never had a, a relationship with Malcolm. Um, I'd say hello to him, uh, how are you doing, at, at, at public functions, but we never went out to dinner. we never been out for drinks. He's not somebody that I considered a friend even. Uh, but, you know, his involvement in this whole scheme adds to um, the level of, uh, you know, just uh, 
you know, it's just bizarre. I don't even know. That, that's the only word that I can think of, you know. Um, look, we are elected officials. Malcolm Smith took the same oath uh, that I took to uphold the Constitution, to uphold the law. No one is above the law, Michael. No one is above the law. We are all subject to the law. And we have an obligation, because people hold us to a higher standard, uh, to uphold the law, to carry out the laws of the city and the state, and, and not to abuse our positions, not to violate the public trust, not to steal, not to be bribed, not to be for sale. People expect honest government, good government, and they have a right to expect that. And when people let them down, we have an obligation to hold them accountable and responsible for their actions. No question about that. 212-529-4620. 529-4620, the number. And Councilman, the Bronx chairman, Jay Savino, you may not your county, you may not even know him. He doesn't have a single Republican elected official in the entire borough. And what exactly does a guy like that do? What does it mean to be a party chairman in a borough with no elected officials? You know, I, I don't know, thankfully. In Queens, uh, we have Republican, well, we have me and uh, and Dan for the time being. But, uh, you know, we've had state senators. We, we elected Bob Turner. And, and what an excellent congressman he was and what a historic election that was. And I'm hoping, actually, that, that the congressman will come out of retirement. I know he's dealing with some personal issues, rebuilding his home and his life um, in Breezy Point. But I'm hoping that he'll come out of retirement and, and, and try to help restore some integrity and credibility to the Republican Party here in Queens. I'm hoping that he'll take over the county chairmanship here in Queens and lead us in a new and positive direction. Right. Congressman Turner's house was destroyed during Hurricane Sandy, and our best wishes go out to him. A real mensch, uh, certainly, uh, was Congress, is Congressman Turner, and uh, certainly a, a man that the uh, kind of person that's definitely needed. We need more like him in public life. Uh, let's talk for a second about the GOP in general, because you're, you're kind of the urban Republican who is the, the type that a lot of the party with kind of focusing inward in the aftermath of the 2012 election is kind of looking at and saying, oh, we, you know, we're missing all the voters that a guy like Eric Ulrich is reaching out to. And uh, where is the Republican Party going? Are they are they are they able to reach some of the voters that you've been successful with? And how do they rebuild? How does the party rebuild going forward? Well, Michael, I'm, I'm about to head back in the room. They're going to call my name. But I, I do want to add to that point. I think that the Republican Party, in order to survive, that we need to attract young candidates, with new ideas, with a lot of energy that can reach out to the voters, the Democrats, the Republicans, the independents, and, and sell them the message and, and, and help them believe again that the party is the party of good government, is the party of prosperity, is the party of, of helping grow our economy, creating jobs, cutting taxes for the middle class. I think we have a lot to offer the people of New York. Right now it's hard for them to listen because of all the distractions and the scandals that are going on. But I think that, um, we're going to emerge from this, and like the Phoenix, we're going to rise from the ashes. So I want to thank you, Michael. I'm sorry i got to cut you out. No, thank you, uh, Councilman. They're going to give me an award tonight, and I'm pleased to receive it. And uh, to all your listeners, I want to wish them all the best, and may they go from strength to strength. Thank you, Councilman Ulrich. And a shout-out to uh, Chairman Tom Long out there from the Queens Conservative Party, also a, a real mensch. So give him our best. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. All the best. This is spin class, and uh, we are unfortunately looking at just a, a really hard situation, uh, at what we have right now in Albany, and what we've had even going back a decade. If you look at some of the names uh, 
that are out there that have been either indicted or in trouble or convicted, have served time. It, it goes back. It, it's pretty unbelievable. Even those who had to resign office in scandal. We had a governor that had to resign office in scandal. Uh, he chose to resign. He wasn't forced to resign. That would be Elliot Spitzer. And you had the controller of the state of New York who Andrew, uh, sorry, Alan Hevesy. I apologize to Assemblyman Hevesy. Uh, Alan Hevesy, who was ensnared not in just one scandal, but a second scandal. He was reelected, even though he probably, everybody kind of expected that he was going to have to step down. And then a wider corruption scandal in the controller's office, uh, accepting gifts and bribes for, in return for investments, investment of public pension money. And then we had uh, senators out there like uh, Joe Bruno and Guy Valella and Nick Spano and Ada Smith, Kevin Parker, Carl Kruger, Vinnie Libel, and it makes you a little bit sick to go on and on and on. And the assembly got, well, uh, actually I forgot Shirley Huntley, who uh, recently had issues. In the assembly you have uh, William Boylan, we've discussed him in the past, and uh, Diane Gordon, Sam Hoyt. Vito Lopez, Brian McLaughlin, Tony Seminario, the late Tony Seminario, and the list, as I said, goes on. What is it? When is this going to change? Why did I mention this two weeks ago when I talked about William Boylan? It had nothing to do with knowing the fact that there was something brewing in all, but he obviously had no idea, as uh, Josh Margolin pointed out quite well earlier, that this all came about very, very quickly, that... William Boyland was indicted. Yes, he was acquitted, but then he was indicted again, and he was in trouble with the controller's office. Yet, at the same time, the voters in Brooklyn decided to return him to office, even in the midst of one scandal after another. And I said two weeks ago, I said, this is just shocking. It's shocking behavior that that happened. And every, as the same thing with Alan Hevesy, that the statewide, the voters elected him even though he was enmeshed in a scandal where he was providing benefits. He was providing a car and driver to his wife who wasn't entitled to that. And the voters have returned Senator Kevin Parker, who I, I know and I like, but he has some anger management issues. He has been involved in uh, misdemeanors and uh, assaults. And why is it that we continue, that we have voters in the state who seem to feel that some of these ethical and legal lapses still entitle elected officials to remain in office? I don't know. It's just a, a little bit it's, – it's a little bit surprising. It's unnerving. And the only way – I think it was said beforehand that uh, – very eloquently by Hank Scheinkoff – that – Preet Bharara is, is going out and exercising a form of term limits, that he is out there trying to clean up, to remove the politicians when the voters themselves won't. But what does that say about the voters? What does that say about the people out there who aren't exercising their duty, their responsibility to have elected officials who keep, who keep the public trust? It really goes ahead and it destroys the whole system. We have to expect that our public servants out there are going to do things based upon whether it's conviction. I meant you know, belief in conviction, that type of conviction. Whether it's their 
principles, whether it's what the voters want, because that that's perfectly legitimate. Sometimes that elected officials will even go against something that they might personally believe in, but they believe that it might be best for their community. That's legitimate. But it should be only about money. And let's not kid ourselves. Money greases the wheels of politics. You can't get elected. You can't run a campaign without money. You need money. You need money for ads. You need money to get message out to the voters. You need money for staff. That's necessary. Those are necessary things. Those are nece- That is a necessary part of the political process. Money. Fundraising and money. And as much as politicians hate to do it, the money is absolutely positively necessary. However, some of the – if you read some of these indictments over this over the week, over today – when the elected officials are out there demanding money in returns for specific, the quid pro quo, it's just so disappointing. It's so disappointing that that is what we have sunk to. And at the center of it, whether it's New Jersey and whether it's the scandal in New York, not the one in the Bronx, but the one that started in Rockland County, is unfortunately, are unfortunately, people who hold them out to be from juice. I, I it can't go without saying. I can't not say it. It has to be said. And Hank Scheinkoff said it before. And he's right. What are we going to start doing as a community to say that this is not acceptable behavior? We can't just sit around and say, well, it's him. They're doing it. Well, everybody's doing it. If you're wearing a yarmulke and you're and you're identified as a Jew, it can't you can't run away from it. You can't be doing both at the same time as holding yourself out to be from terming yourself as a rabbi. Actually, that that happened in this in this Spring Valley case that he uses credibility with some of those elected officials holding himself out as a rabbi. It can't be a situation that you're going to turn around and corrupt the system at the same time. And I know that I've given a lot of commentary, a lot of ranting tonight. It's warranted. This is just such a disappointing episode. And unfortunately, as we heard at the various press conferences and we've been told and some of the cooperating witnesses, one of the cooperating assemblymen, uh, Nelson Castro has basically said, the assemblyman from the Bronx who was going to resign on April 8th, he said that there's more to come. So I guess I'll say stay tuned. Hopefully we won't have to do too many shows like this. I'd like to get out back into other issues. There's a lot out there. Okay, North Korea, Iran, anything else but talking about corruption. But unfortunately we did this special show tonight. Thank you for listening. This is Spin Class Talking Politics with Michael Fragan here on a Thursday night on the Nachum Signal Network. Stay tuned for the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. See you next week.